Good morning, church. It is such an honor and a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Um, my name is Dallas Kawhi. For those that do not know me, I am an intern in our campus ministry. I'm a, I'm a fourth year at, at Cal State Fulton. I'm a kinesiology major with a concentration in biomechanics. Um, go Titans. But um, a little more background on me. Um, I'm actually, I actually moved here to OC about four years ago, uh, about three years ago, about before, um, to, preserve, uh, to go to college here. Um, I'm from the Lifeway Church. I brought a lot of people with me. Don't worry about it. But um, that's the basic, the Burbank, Glendale, Pasadena area with Monterey Park, um, Arcadia, kind of everything in between there. Um, I grew up in Glendale with my parents who are actually here today. They've been in this for 30 years and married for 27. So um, they're pretty awesome, so I get to know them. <laughs> but today I'm really excited and encouraged to share with you um, something that has really been prominent in my walk with God as of late. And it's called investing. Yeah! And no, we're not talking stocks. We're not talking about 401ks or, or mining for Bitcoin, none of that. We're talking about, well, sorry, Max, I know you're into stock trading, but it's fine. We're not talking about it. And no, Marcel did not ask Daniel how to do an extended time of tithes and offering. We already got through that. But I'm talking about spiritual investment. Investment in each other. You know, investing in this big group, this diverse group, spirit-led, but very imperfect at times people that we get to call the church, we get to call family. And for the kids, I don't have the slide up there, but the title of the, the, the word of the day is what campus? Family. It's family. And so today, the title of my lesson, me and Dan doing a two-part lesson, the title of my part of the lesson we're taking up is investing in the kingdom. Investing in the kingdom. And you know, before I get started, I want to ask for two things. Energy and interaction. I'm very much like Marcel, I feed off it, so all like the hype and the whoops and the amen bro, you're killing it, or amen, uh, amen like you need to change your point real quick because I'm getting bored, like, I'm with it all, I just want interaction, I want to get to be invested, I want to feel connected with everyone. Can we, can we do that, can I, can I do that? Well, my first question I want to ask though, is um, to anyone in the crowd, you guys can answer, I'll have to take two or three answers, but who in your family do you feel the most connected to, or closest to, and why? I'll take like two to three answers. Yes. Amen. Your husband should be your best friend. Newsflash. Yes. Yes, yes, there we go. Like her younger than to challenge her and call her higher. That's awesome. 
But yeah, like, these are some great answers. And I want to turn over to Romans chapter 16. For those of you who have your Bibles, you can turn there, you can swipe there, tap there. Whatever you feel more comfortable with, I'm not going to judge you. But um, well, I'm not going to necessarily read a lot of it, because uh, it is quite lengthy in a sense. But what we are talking about is Paul's personal, the title, the title of that chapter is called Paul's Personal Greetings. And basically it's Paul's final goodbyes, thank yous to the church in Rome. And, you know, in there, if you look at here, there, right now, you'll see there's a lot of names right there. You know, there's a lot of people guys say, like, greet this person, or I thank this person for this, or this person I became close with. And, you know, there's a lot of things that in there, like, I, when I first read it, I was like, man, this is just Paul saying, like, a bunch of thank yous. Like, what's the point? You know, like, I don't understand why he felt the need to thank all these people, you know. But well, two things I learned, I hope that you will learn, is that this is God's word. And you can always learn stuff from God's word. Amen? So... With that said, in Romans 16, we talk about, Paul talks about all these people that he is, you know, thanking and greeting. That these are like men and women that who he has been in the thick of it. People that he has grown with, people that he has fought for. And at the end of the day, he gets to really just praise them and just thank them so much for what they're doing. So I think about 26 people is mentioned, and then they're all Paul's really close friends. Even some of them were his relatives. You know, I want to highlight some of those relationships. I think. In, uh, in Romans 16, verses 3, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. You see, Paul reminds um, the people that come, at least Priscilla and Aquila, for those that know us, like, you know, they gave so much to the church. They had church in their homes. You know, they sacrificed so much to make disciples in a time where disciples were outcasts, disciples were threatened. Your life was on the line if you were a Christian. And you know, the fact that he's able to, you know, reach out to these people and have this deep connection shows how much he, these people meant. And see, so my question to you, church, is what do, what do your brothers and sisters mean to you? You know, how, how, how deep or how connected are you with them? You know, and we also talked about um, in verses 8, 9, and 13. Um, he says, Greet Ampelatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Another says, Well, I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co worker, and, and my dear friend. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, his mother, who has been a mother to me. Isn't it amazing that Paul's able to call someone who's not his blood his own mother? He says, Who's been a mother to me, even though I'm not, I'm not one of them, I'm not, I'm not directly related to them. You see, even, you have to take note that even Paul was being, coming from Jews to Christian, you know, his family might have disowned him because obviously the Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But he chose to go against that and chose to build this family of, Christian, of, of Christianity and was able to connect to them. And that, that, was, that was deeper than that. That was spiritual, that was spirit-led. And you know, my first point I want to hit is that investing in the kingdom is investing Investing in the kingdom is investing in family. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50, it says, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my mother. Connected by God, not by blood. You know, I want to give you a little bit of insight. I'm going to be moving around today because I got nervous. I needed to come. Um, but growing up, um, you know, I didn't really 
have a lot of meaningful relationships in my family, uh, or at least in my, my extended family. Um, except besides my mom and dad. Um, all of my Hawaiian Chinese family, so my dad's side, lives in Hawaii right now. And uh, I'm not kidding uh, that there's 500 of them, probably packed in 75% on one island on Kauai. So if you ever go there and you are, if you ever mention me, my dad, my mom, they're probably going to throw a luau for you, so just be prepared. But it's also good because that means you're spending less money, so don't worry about it. But none of them live in California. Um, so my dad was raised his only child on Kauai, um, and uh, he was raised by my grandmother, who was a single mom. And uh, my grandfather, dad's dad, uh, left um, when my grandmother became pregnant, so we never got to Despite, uh, you know, not having those extended family, 
connection. I realized that when I was writing this list, and you kind of stole my line, but it's alright. I love him anyway. But I don't, I don't, and have, we may not have a blood family, but we are connected by the blood of Christ. And you know, like, having that as a connection to me was what I realized is like, this is the family. There is no better family. I don't know anyone else in the world that which I would trade for this kind of family. The people that are fighting for me, people that are fighting with me, fighting next to me. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy to think that you can have people that complete strangers in the world but together for you to come together and be greeted. I mean, I have grandparents in the family. I have Bruce and Ralph Williams. The best movies. It's in Colorado, but they brought me up in a maturity and sharing my faith. And mothers and fathers like Steve and Charlie Stevens, who have really led uh, me and really called me right on leadership. And tons of uncles and aunts. I mean, we have the Willards, we have the Mabrys, the Palacios, the Artechis. Like, the, those people are just super amazing families. The way they sacrifice, the way they give, the way they open their homes. They squeeze starving college students like me. And even like the halls, where and utter just definition of the family. It's funny because me and the halls, we actually go way back. We're actually from Lifeway together before they moved out here. So, um, so growing up, I have them, and obviously they've taken me in since I've been here. And even though I don't look like Paul, my last name is not Paul, it's okay. Because obviously the genes of height between me and Marcel don't transfer over. So, Marcel, I love you. If you're watching online, I love you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but I also have countless brothers and sisters. As well, nieces and nephews. I'm Kyle and Jasmine, Drake, Amelia, Cece, Priya, Davina, Matt. The list goes on. Max, Albert. The list goes on, guys. And most amazing of all, God gave me my beautiful, spiritual, elegant, and intelligent girlfriend, Angie. Overall, I'm grateful to call you all Tell your neighbor next to you, I'm grateful I get to call you family. Tell your neighbor that. I'm grateful I get to call you family. Because you know, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 to 50, it says, or 48, it says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? He says, Point to the disciples, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father is in heaven and is my brother, my sister, and my mother. You see, church, where will we be? If someone didn't invest in you? Or a better question, who in the church are you investing? You know, where who are you being a big brother to? Who are you being a big sister to? Who is your uncle? Who's your aunt? Who's your father? Who's your mother? Who's your grandmother? Who's your grandfather? Because what if what if you what if we made excuse like being too busy? Oh, I can't invest myself, I'm too busy. Dallas, you don't know my schedule. I got a lot going on. Bet you do. But there's a lot going on in this family right here that needs help. We need each other more than you think. You know, what if Priscilla Nicola said, I don't feel like opening up my home to this church. I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's big enough. I don't feel like it's clean enough. I don't think it's good enough. I don't feel like we're too busy right now. You know, if there's anyone that knows how to be relational in the church, it's Jesus. He was the epitome of being relational in the church. I mean, imagine having to invest in a man like Peter. Like the dude was doubting Jesus, questioning Jesus. Jesus, don't worry about it. You're not going to die. I'm, I got you. I got your back. 
What are you talking about, Jesus? This dude witnessed miracles. The dude walked on water. And what if Jesus said, why are you questioning so much? You know what? I can't believe you. I'm done. I'm not going to invest in you. See, but Jesus didn't think like this. Luckily, Jesus isn't like us, amen? We don't really get fed up with people so easily. You know, he, Peter was able to gain the keys of the kingdom. The dude was the catalyst for launching the church after Jesus' resurrection at Pentecost. And you know, like, it's, it's crazy that, you know, we can, we can be so impatient not to invest, not to sacrifice. It's hard. I'm not saying that investing is easy, but it's very hard. But that's why we're called to be self-denying. That's why we're called to care. That's why we're called to deny ourselves. You know, meet each other's needs, not our own at times. But I want to switch gears a little bit. I actually want to encourage my dad here a bit. Uh, he, is, he is the most relational investing guy I know. And um, he uh, has inspired me to really go after relationships. And I want to uh, mention two relationships that he has. Those are the questions that he did. But these two men here. Uh, so we got Joe Smith on the left. He's in Lifeway. Uh, and we got Rick Mendelson. Right here in the middle. Uh, he's in the West Side Church. And uh, my dad studied the Bible with both these guys at the USC campus ministry over 20 years ago, baptized both of them. And, uh, you know, these are my uncles growing up. You know, the Hawaiian culture is, you know, to anyone that is older than you, um, you call them uncle or auntie. So I had Uncle Rick and I had Uncle Joe. And watching these guys grow, and growing up with them and seeing the relationship that they have with my dad and the three of them that they had was the coolest thing ever to me. Having a bond of just deep intimacy. You know, I mean, these guys did some crazy things together. Like, they literally had these things called mancations. So not a mancation, a mancation. Where the three of them would go out and they go do some crazy things like uh, they go uh, ziplining or they go uh, off-roading in a jeep. Or they would go class school whitewater rafting in the Kern River. Or they would even, uh, they actually jumped off the stratosphere during the free fall up in Las Vegas. It's like, it's like a, like a weighted free fall. That's like 855 feet. So they did that together. So like, they did some crazy things together. You know, despite having all those crazy things, they were with each other through a lot deeper than that. The gut-wrenching lows. The super victorious high. You know, these men did life to Who are you doing life to You know, because these men brought together not only just each other, but they brought together a family. Man, I should not have picked this lesson up so much. But, <laughs> but the friendship was in Christ. Not the fun things they did together. Not about all the cool stories that they had with they were invested in Christ. And when your friendships are invested in Christ, they leave a legacy. Now, if you're like, what do you mean by legacy? Well, this kind of legacy. Because the best thing to describe my legacy is the best been Drake. I mean, there's literally no one in the world like Drake. Because he is literally no one since I was born. And I mean, literally, a people in This guy has been there for me since the beginning. And, uh, I mean, we're, our dads are best friends. 
so it's like you're kind of forced to meet each other because your dad's a good friend, so you're like one of those situations. But what me and Drake had in our friendship was a lot deeper. But we grew to be kind of productive. You know, over the years we'd see each other. I mean, he was he lived in the desert city churches for most of his life, and uh, I lived here in LA, and. Uh, so we really didn't see each other that often, except for birthdays, weddings, occasions, and uh, vacations. But uh, and Drake and I became disciples both in high school, and so we eventually became uh, that brotherhood spread when we became roommates in college. Uh, and uh, you know, we are. Uh, I think it's, it's crazy to say, but on his best man is what. So him and Amelia are getting married in a month, and it's super encouraging, but. The crazy thing is that my dad and his dad were the best men in each other's lives. And so you see the lineage just come down through the timeline to where we are today. And that church is, that's what it makes. And that's not something that you just invest in for your children, but I hope you know that the point is that when we invest in the kingdom, we're investing in a place. When you invest in each other, you're investing in the future. Not just for your children, like I said, but you're investing in these relationships. Because in 1 Corinthians 3.10 it says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building it. But each one should go with it. You see, whether, you, whether you, you know it or not, you're making a legacy right now. You are in the thick of it. Because what will you be remembered for? What is going to be your legacy? The way you, when you carry yourself, your attitude, your presence, your words, your actions. And then leave a pleasant fragrance for a rock stand. You know, what legacy are you? Are you going to be joyful in the midst of difficulty? Are you going to be um, graceful and forgiving for those that hurt you? Are you going to encourage and inspire others? Is your legacy going to be investing your time and energy into the kingdom? What's going to be your legacy, church? You know, on one practical level, I want you guys to take away this. Find someone or some people to invest in and build a legacy. Do life together. Invest in each other. Invest in family. Thank you. We're we'll going to have Dan come up and speak. Big on that, fast and furious, they need to all that. 
But yeah, for those who don't know me, uh, for, I'm 22 years old. Um, I grew up in the Metro LA region. <laughs> Metro booming, awesome, awesome. Uh, yeah, so I've been there for 21 years of my life. My uh, mom and dad, um, they uh, were part of that region pretty much. Um, and I'm glad that my mom's here. Uh, for those who know my dad, unfortunately passed away, but I know he's here with me in spirit. And I got my brother here, my brother Steven, and his girlfriend Camille, and my little sister Miley, who is just... Miley over here was just sending me messages, like, like scaring me, saying, if you mess up, I'm gonna, like, get on you for that, and stuff like that, so... Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm a senior at Cal State Fullerton right now. I'm pursuing a degree in uh, criminal justice. And, uh, yeah, I'm just excited right now. She's preaching in front of you guys. Um, so, Dust did a great job just talking about investing in the kingdom, investing in... But I'm going to talk about investing in the mission. And, you know, we are a tight-knit family, and I love that. And because of that, I want other people to experience what they are not experiencing in the world right now. And um, so, yeah, to be honest with you, when I first moved here a year ago, um, it was rough. I mean, school being online, services being online, like, you know, it was definitely discouraging. I was like, I didn't come, you know, move different ministries before this. Uh, you know, the first semester we really had low attendance rate. Uh, it was tough doing uh, big weeks online, Friday night events. But I definitely felt God moving uh, second semester, definitely. Um, so, slide here. We've had three baptisms happening for campus. Uh, the first one being right there, Kenny. In the month of May, he baptized. He was our first baptism for the campus ministry during COVID. Then we had our brother Soren Stevenson over there, restoring his faith in God. And then, just last Sunday, Alyssa Tapia became our new sister in Christ. God is obviously working within our ministry. And I say this because I think that we can do a lot more. I know we're on the cusp of something great. I've only been here for a year, but I just see just how much we just yearn to just be together. I mean, we were one of the few ministries who just met in person because we knew the, the importance of it. So, you know, now I just really want to, I guess, get into, you know, my lesson now. And we're going to look at one scripture, so you can just keep your Bibles there. It's going to be in Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38. And it says here, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciple, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So I love this scripture here. So verse 35, it paints out what Jesus' ministry was like. You know, he was going through towns. He was, you know, preaching the gospel. He was proclaiming the good news. He was healing people. And then in verse 36 and 38, 338, it mentions a specific incident. You know, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. And then he gave this charge to his disciples. And I think the first lesson we can learn from this, we need to see as Jesus saw, and that is we need to have eyes of compassion. You know, going back to the scripture, Jesus said to his followers, no, go back to the scripture, sorry. Jesus and his followers, I'm pretty sure they saw the same thing, I'm not trying to twist the words, but they see a crowd, they're approaching. But Jesus saw the crowd through a different lens than his disciples did. Now, if you don't mind me, I want to stop here. I want to tell you a story because I feel like my life is just a comedy because a lot of things happen in my life where I'm just like, of course, God, you have it happen to me. Uh, for those 
and Matt, you know, those who know me in campus, they know. Uh, so I want to take you back to my freshman year of college while I was at uh, El Camino Community College in Torrance. I rolled into a sociology class to, you know, fulfill a, a GE or something like that. And it was a great class. I mean, learned about, you know, human and their behaviors, also sociology. But we were talking about, uh, my professor one day came to class and just said, hey, are most people good Samaritans? And, you know, me being the good Christian boy I am, and surprisingly along with the rest of my class, we were like, yes, of course they're good Samaritans in this world. Well, you're crazy. So then my professor was like, okay, I give you the challenge. Right now we're going to walk to the library, go to the computer lab, and we're going to do some research on it. But before we, like, you know, go to the library stuff, I want to each one of you guys have at least two conversations with people on the way there. And you can talk about anything you want. And we're all like, cool, we're all motivated, because by the way, like he said, this is like week four, he said, if you guys prove me wrong, guess what? We are going to not take any more tests, and pretty much, it's free A. And we're like, wow, just imagine that. A free A. We still have like 12 weeks in the semester. All right, cool, let's do it. So we get there, we're walking, especially, you know, we're all just talking to different people. We're looking at a professor like, hey, do you see this type of thing? But then, we see a homeless man walk by. You know what me and the rest of my classmates did? Nothing. We did absolutely nothing. We just you know, let him walk by, and he was saying, hey, can I get money? You got food? And we are kind of just, like, look, we got something to do right now, type of thing. And, yeah, gratitude is probably like, Daniel, how could you, you know, you, I don't want people, you know, just be so, like, hard-hearted and, like, you know, not help this man. I would never do that. But to be honest, my hunch is, myself and my classroom, we probably represent a lot of us in this room here. You know, we were getting, we're so caught up in, you know, proving our professors wrong and trying to get out of easy stuff. We're preoccupied with all these things, as I mentioned, you know. Oh, we're busy, you know, we don't know what we're going through. But yet, when God puts those people in needs in front of us, we can casually turn away. Yeah. So, you know, I felt like the disciples in the story. Especially, you know, going back to you know, when Jesus fed the 5,000. You know, their first reaction to the disciples were, hey, like, turn them away, there's too much, we can't eat these people's needs. But Jesus said, no, let them come to me. So what do we do with our compassionate eyes? Church, do we have compassionate compassion? How can we improve in this area? If we don't have eyes of compassion, then how can we invest in the mission? How can we have those people who are lost, you know, experience this family that we have? You know, mentioning the scripture in, uh, I think it was Matthew 5, just talking about this lamp and being, you know, used to light, light it up. We don't cover that light. We shouldn't do that. You know, I believe we can grow in this area together by imitating Jesus' example. And then, bring to my second point, my last point. Workers are invested in the harvest. I'm going to go to, back to Matthew 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. You know, this is an idea that Jesus wanted his disciples to grasp. You know, there's a harvest waiting to be reaped. The harvest doesn't depend on our technique, techniques, but on God's sovereign purpose. He has planned the harvest, and he called on us to get involved as his reapers. You know, like, to be honest with you, you know, for the past month, some of the OC interns have been, you know, going to different campuses and sharing our faith. 
And I could find myself not having those, that compassion Jesus had for those people. I see myself, you know, about to approach this person, but then that thought creeped in my head, oh, this person doesn't want to hear about it. He might get offended. She, like, doesn't want to know about Christ, I think. How do you know that? How do I know that? Well, let's continue reading. He says, Sabbath, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now stop and think about it. Jesus is calling on us. He needs our help. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He could have used his angels to do this work, but instead he called on us. It's an honor and blessing to be chosen by God to invest in the lost. But why? Why can it be a challenge to invest in the harvest? I mean, too much for me requires time, energy. We have to be selfless, thinking about others constantly. You know, and also, you know, when you reach out to those souls, you know, they're not always, it's not always a guarantee that they'll be a disciple. You know, for those who don't know me that well, I love sports. Sports I'm super passionate about. So I'm a, I gave a little sports analogy for you all, for who are some sports fans here. So, Jesus, it's like this man here. LeBron James. Yes. Like that, Chris? There you go. So those who don't know who LeBron James is, he's arguably one of the greatest players to ever play the game of basketball. So many old folks may say, Michael Jordan, I wasn't laughing at that, so I'm going to stick to my guy LeBron, I guess. But LeBron James, when he was young and in his prime, he was a one-man wrecking show. He could win a title on his own if it wasn't for those super teams that Golden State has and stuff like that. But it's all good, Chris. No, you're a little hurt by that. But think about it. But now he's at this point in his career. He may not be the greatest player right now. He's top five, I would say. But he needs that help. And then those who are Lakers fans, guess who we are? Sight! We're not AD. We're this guy. You guys are like, who's this guy? Looks like our uncle at that barbecue always says, I could have made it to the league, but I got hurt. Yeah, I know. This guy here. His name is Jared Dudley. You guys are like, who the heck is Jared Dudley? I know, exactly. Let me explain to y'all. Jared Dudley, he is a, I guess you say journeyman, I'm not sure exactly, but just know he's an NBA basketball player. But he's not as great as LeBron, or well known as most of you I saw him look at your faces today. But guess what? He's on that same team as LeBron James. So, I just want you to think about this, also. Uh, but Jared he is like a bench warmer, a cheerleader, a hype man of the group. So he doesn't see the floor that often. But yet he's on the same team as LeBron James. And we're him. We're Jared Dudley. Even though we're bench warmers on you know, a team with Jesus, he is calling on us to be out on the floor with him during those crunch time minutes. My question to you, church, is are we going to answer that call? Are we going to settle with being a bench warmer with Jesus on our team? Or are we going to be out there on that floor when our numbers call? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be out there on the floor with him, with Jesus, winning a championship. My question with you is, do you all want to do the same thing with me? So what now? I mean, you know, how do we implement what we learn? And there's only one practice I want to share with you. And it's a simple one, but, you know, it takes us to a step in the right direction. It starts with one conversation. You know, one conversation 
with Jesus changed that Samaritan woman's life. Just imagine one conversation with your friend, coworker, neighbor, you know, anyone. Just imagine what that would do. It takes an effort and requires you to be a little uncomfortable, but it can change someone's life. And my passion is that we can, as a church, invest, invest in the mission together. Not only can we leave an impact, you know, or a legacy in the church as Dallas mentioned, but we can leave a legacy in this world. Amen, church. Thank you. Love you.